welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens, and you're listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast brought to you by the Open Mainframe Project, a Linux Foundation collaborative project put in place to advocate and promote open source on the mainframe platform. I'm joined today by a good friend of the platform, Robert Garrett, who's currently an independent contractor. Um, Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, read reading a lot about the bio, um, but I think if we could just get started, Robert, could you just give the listeners a sort of brief introduction to your career? I think there's going to be a lot of highlights and things to talk about here, but just get us started. Give us a view of kind of your time on the platform and, and then we'll go from there. Certainly. Yeah, I got into this business really kind of by accident. I went to college and uh, got a degree in mathematics and physics never giving a thought to what I was going to do with that after I graduated. And uh, I had always, uh, I'd also taken some, some courses in computer science and programming. In fact, that was my second minor. And just kind of fell into it by accident. But uh, through a series of events, uh, some of which are a little bit humorous, I wound up in being a system programmer uh, back in Lubbock, Texas in the 1970s, late 1970s. And I've loved it ever since. Um, I've always been the kind of guy that can't resist tearing something apart to see what makes it work. And so this has been tailor-made for me. And uh, it, there have been times when I almost feel guilty about being paid this much for something I enjoy doing so much, but I try to keep that a secret. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, I mean, you, you must have seen the platform change massively over the years. I mean, just give me some perspective of kind of how you got in, what those first few months and years looked like on the platform, and, and, and really what your experience was getting onto the mainframe for, for the first time. Oh, definitely. Uh, and I have seen a lot of changes. And the very first platform I worked on uh, as an operator, which is where I started, was on good old uh, DOS VS release 34 on a 370-145, and I believe it had maybe a whopping 768 kilobytes of memory on the whole machine. And uh, you, you look at that now, and even your toaster has has memory that's measured in gigabytes, so that, that's been kind of eye-opening for me. Uh, my wife tends to take all this stuff for granted, and uh, every time I discover something that I can do like as she's driving, driving down the road, using the Wi-Fi system on my car to, to connect to somebody's uh, mainframe platform and do work for them while we're watching the scenery go by. Some of those things just at this point blow me away because I remember how it used to be. And, and, and she looks at me just kind of matter-of-factly and says, you know, so what's the big deal? But it, it has been a big change over the years, and uh, I think that will continue to be true. So... When I was looking at the bio we, that came through, you'd spent a lot of time on kicks. Um, can you talk to me a, a little bit about that journey you've been on, particularly with that part of the platform and, and how you've seen that evolve over the years? Oh, yes. Uh, well, in the beginning, when I first started working with it, it was uh, back at, I believe, 112, which was two or three releases before the command level interface in the product was actually introduced. And at that time, it was mostly COBOL. Uh, there was some PL1 around and, and assemblers. You know, those were your three options. 
and it was all uh, you know green screen interactive type transaction related programming and uh, we did quite a few things with it even back in the 70s where i worked in lubbock but you fast forward to now i mean look at it it it, it bears very little resemblance although the underpinnings and the ancestry is still evident you know now uh, CICS is mostly uh, driven by the web. It's a back-end server in a lot of cases. It supports Java. It supports Rex. It supports, in, in current releases, Node.js. And uh, is used, uh, you know, a lot of traffic comes in over MQ. And you look at the volumes. You know, the last um, real job I had, which was working for a, a, one of the largest financial services firms in the world, Every morning when the bell rang and the market would open, it was a frightening thing to watch. I mean, we had, I forget how many MIPS on the floor, but it was a lot. And the uh, our transaction volumes would go from nothing to 60, 70, 80,000 transactions per second in the space of one clock cycle. It, it was a scary thing to watch. But the amount of volume that gets processed through CICS and the reliability with which it processes all that stuff is still just amazing. There's, there's nothing else in the world like it. And give us a – we may have some new listeners maybe who aren't sort of mainframe experts. What would that be supporting? You know, you mentioned a large financial customer. Obviously, you probably can't say the name, but give us a flavor of – kind of what those transactions are doing for that bank? In the financial market, what usually happens, you know, the markets are only open for a defined number of hours per day. But what happens in the overnight trading is people will get on and they will queue these trades up. You know, they say, I want to buy X shares of Y stock you know, at opening in the morning. And so you'll have this tremendous backlog of work that's queued up to hit, and then when the when the bell finally rings in the mornings and the and the markets do open, all those transactions that have been queued up worldwide overnight uh, come flooding in. It was a real challenge for that particular customer because uh, if you're familiar at all with, with mainframe technology and PRSM and logical partitions and all that sort of thing, there is a configuration that you can set it where it will automatically provide uh, capacity on demand. We could not use that function because it did not re react quickly enough to meet that market demand. I mean, it was literally uh, going from idle to many thousands of transactions per second in the space of one clock cycle. It, it was it was a frightening thing to watch. So the uh, that was where that volume came from. And you contrast that to like say an inventory or or manufacturing where their workload tends to be um, more even. The defining thing about this company was the, the spikiness of their volume. They had to, to size everything about their capacity just to get through the first 15 minutes of every day. Wow, I mean, and have you seen that sort of world change? I know with Kicks, we're seeing new graphical interfaces. We're thing, seeing things like Zoe most recently that's come from the project. I mean, what's been your experience maybe over that last sort of three to four years? Where have you seen the, the platform go? Well, there's, there's a big push still 
towards uh, automation and 24 by 7 operation and zero downtime. That is a challenge uh, for any mainframe environment. The uh, way that CICS and other parts of the platform are addressing that are, of course, with uh, you know, parallel sysplex and multiple LFRs and dynamic configuration, things that you used to have to take systems down for, uh, you can now do dynamically. And being able to shift workload around as you need to with uh, things like uh, sysplex optimized workload management, everything is geared towards continuous operation. And as the uh, mainframe talent pool continues to sort of evaporate, as people who are really uh, experienced at this, they all look like me. They're all old and they're all retiring. So companies are, are concerned about uh, where is the next generation of support coming from? And I think that's driving towards things like Zoe and other tools that allow, that uh, attempt to simplify what it takes to maintain this environment. And, and how you see that transition? I, I mean, personally, my journey on the platform over the last 10 years, I've seen a lot more kind of younger college kids coming into the platform and that volume of sort of younger talent. Is that what you're seeing? I'm seeing some of it. There, there are, um, if you look at the, at least here in the States, there aren't that many colleges or universities that have any sort of mainframe curriculum at all. In fact, there's uh, my alma mater. I work with them. I'm kind of providing them uh, free system programmer support in exchange for having access to their system so I can work on development and do things. But there's probably less than a dozen, maybe even less than a half a dozen universities in the whole country that have any sort of program, which is really kind of upside down from, from the way it was when I went to school, you know, back when when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, the way curriculum was chosen back then was the business community pretty much dictated uh, what colleges taught because of their needs. And it's really upside down now because it seems like uh, businesses are adapting what they use to fit what colleges are producing. It's like the other, that, that's what's, the, what's causing the drive towards Java and, and open systems, I believe. And at least that's my opinion anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, I'd maybe question some of the numbers, but I think kind of directionally, you're not far off. So, I mean, to, interesting to sort of get your perspective where you see kind of the platform going more generally. What are you starting to see? What, what are the big trends that you're seeing sort of going forward? Uh, you know, the, the most current versions of ZOS have introduced support and containers. Uh, I expect that that trend will continue. That's become very popular. I've just now started working with uh, containers uh, myself on, on Docker, and I'm still learning about a lot of it. But I'm quite surprised at how quickly you can spin something up and get it running. I haven't really quite, quite wrapped my mind around all of it yet because I'm still learning it, but that, that's pretty impressive. And what have you still thought forget. about, what have you thought about ZCX? I mean, that's new technology to the platform, but the container extension piece of, have you got your hands on with that and started to have a play? I haven't played with it yet. It's on my list of things to do. And uh, WT, where I'm, I'm working now, they do they are on 2.4, so it, that is available to me. It just hasn't been something I've gotten around to yet. 
but it is something that's on my list of things to do. I do plan to explore that. So are you going to be taking some of that experience you've had just in the Linux space over onto ZOS? Is that the, is that the plan? Yeah, it, it cross pollinates everywhere. You know, I, um, I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. You know, I, I do this for a living. I've been doing this for, you know, 40 plus years now. And as if that's not enough, I also have my own personal Windows domain network here at home that I brought up in support. And and that grew up really just out of a, I got tired of having to change my email address every time my ISP got bought or sold. And so years ago, I decided I was going to bring up my own email server and and so that I didn't have to do that anymore. And uh, that kind of ballooned into, you know, multiple redundant servers and all that sort of stuff here. I guess I just can't get enough of it. But um, it's, it's funny the way that you start to see parallels between the different architecture and the way things do and the way things are implemented and, and accomplished, the different sorts of things we all have to do in the IT world. It can be a little bit, uh, uh, confusing sometimes too because I, I get uh, my environments crossed up. I'll be trying to do something on on Windows that really comes from from Linux or the mainframe and vice versa. It's hard to keep it all straight sometimes. But but uh, one thing that continues is, is I do enjoy tinkering and playing with it all. And I, I don't think I'll ever get tired of that. Well, we need to get you following the likes of Connor Krakowski and those guys and getting you a mainframe in the house by the sound of it, Robert. Yeah, I, I've got certainly got enough room out here to do it. My wife and I, we live uh, out west of Fort Worth, about 45 minutes to an hour out in, uh, out on 13 and a half acres in a rural setting. So I've got the property out here to put something up. I can just get enough power out here to run it. So, yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, you wouldn't be the first. I think I saw somebody online recently talking about they had they just one of the college kids had just bought a platform and put it into and sort of got it stood up. So that's at least two in the wild now. I know that people have got sort of in a home setting. So maybe that's something to start to tinker with. You know, the challenge is, is uh, software it is changing so fast. And uh, even with the CICS team, uh, I'm very fortunate to be involved in their uh, uh, early support program for, used to be for customers. It's something that they call the, the design partnership on the customer side. And then when I uh, separated from my previous company, I had to be uh, disconnected from that. But I've rejoined them now that I have this on my own company. So now it's, it's a business partner, but, it, but it's the same program where you get to uh, be involved in setting the future direction of the product. And one of the things they've been moving towards is more frequent releases and uh, I guess buying into the whole agile concept of making smaller changes, but making them more frequently. So that's really one thing that has, that I've observed over the years is uh, stuff just keeps coming out faster and you have to be able to move with it set up your environment and your processes so that you can adapt. Even on the beta programs working with CICS, it's, it's very common to get a new beta, you know, every month or even sooner. And if you're going to be involved in that, you really need to have your installation processes fine tuned so that you actually have time to work with the product and, and explore it instead of spending 
several weeks trying to get it installed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, one of the, we've obviously got a lot of younger listeners that listen to the show. You've got a fantastic sort of track record and pedigree on the platform. What would you be saying to your younger self? So say you can go back to sort of 25-year-old Robert, but you've got your experience and, and perspective now. What would you be saying to your younger self as you were embarking on your career, Robert? What would what would the advice be? Well, the very first mentor I had uh, working with systems was back when I was still an operator in Lubbock, Texas, beginning to get curious about this thing that system programmers did. Uh, we had a, a guy in who was actually, he himself was an outside consultant. His name, a fellow by the name of Don Thornton, he was out of California, had an ego the size of Texas, but he had the skills to back it up. This guy was really good. So I started pumping him for information and trying to get him to uh, explain things to me. And, and he was really great about it. He would always give me just enough to get me started and enable me to go dig things out on my own. But he never would spoon feed me about anything. I was talking to him one day. And he told me, he said, you know, there's only two rules for system programmers. Number one is always make sure that you have a way to put it back exactly like it was before you touched it. Rule number two is go have fun. And I have followed both of those my entire career. I mean, it, it's a blast. I love exploring things. I love having um, these insights that allow me to take new concepts, new tools, new technologies, and figure out ways that they can be applied. Uh, there's a, a feature that's been in CICS for several years now called System Events. They, they've renamed it. It's now called System Policies. And when I first learned about it, I was a little bit uh, unsure of its use and what it could be done with it. But then I had this insight of, oh, these are really just uh, exit points that you don't have to write any code for, but you can figure to do things. And once I kind of figured that out, I started seeing all kinds of things I could do with them. And I'm surprised that they haven't taken off any, any more than they have. But that's the thing is always be creative. Uh, look for different ways to apply the things that you run across and try not to pay attention to all the naysayers that keep predicting that the mainframe is dead. They've been saying that for at least the last 20 plus years now. And, uh, you know, the old boy, he's still kicking around pretty good for somebody that's dead. Uh, I don't think that'll ever happen. I think it'll change. I think the role, the, the, how it's used and how, and the place it, it plays in business will continue to change. But the fact is there's no other platform that can handle the volume of work, uh, with the level of reliability that you get on the mainframe, and that's just the truth. So that I think what comes across there is just your intellectual cross curiosity, Robert, and that just passion for learning. And I, I think that's really solid advice. I mean, you you sound like you've had that level of curiosity for the last sort of thirty plus years. And I think if I could give advice. To, the, to sort of my younger self, it would be to foster that curiosity. Would, would that be a fair statement, do you think? Just... <clears throat> oh, definitely. Uh, my wife is always complaining that she never gets anything new because I always repair the old stuff. And I tell her, honey, 
what you don't realize is what's going on here are actually two personality defects. One is that I'm too dumb to know I shouldn't take something apart. And then two is once I get it spread out all over the floor, I'm too stubborn to quit on it until I make it work. And that's really all that's going on. I love that. I've got a vision of you taking apart home appliances now, Robert. So that, and maybe that's one for our listeners. As you, as you start to think kind of going forward, where do you see the platform? If, if I was to give you a crystal ball, where would you see the platform sort of three to five years out? Where do you think we're going? Wow. But that's a tough one to predict. Um, a lot of that depends on uh, software and reliability. That is the biggest advantage, I believe, that the mainframe holds over everything else. I mean, if you look at, and, and I don't mean to be picking on anybody in particular, but this is just one example. If you look at the news, I mean, the last, what is it, three or four now, um, major upgrades that have been uh, released by Microsoft for Windows 10, they've all had major problems. And it's gotten to the point where people are afraid to even put one on because they don't know what it's going to break. Uh, not without reason. Uh, and as long as, and it's a challenge, you know, it's a challenge to meet the demands of agile deployment for uh, more software quicker without sacrificing uh, reliability. Um, a lot of people seem to think that Agile is code word for you don't have to test, which isn't the case. But I think that as long as we can not uh, sacrifice the um, advantage that the mainframe has in terms of reliability as we pursue being able to be more responsive to change, that's going to be the challenge. Um, but if, if we can keep that going, I believe there's always going to be a place for the mainframe. I think its role is going to change. I know of some companies that are already um, regretting their decision for having outsourced and trying to uh, offshore a lot of their talent and they're actively bringing work back now and they're reinvesting in the platform. So I think that will continue to happen. Um, a lot of people want to try to run down the mainframe and say, well, it can't possibly be good because look at how old is this? I mean, this, this is an old thing. In an environment where we have today, if you have a mobile phone that's even, I don't know, one or two years old, it's hopelessly obsolete. So people don't stop to think, though, in a world where technology ages that fast, how does something manage to become as old as the mainframe is and still be viable? You don't accomplish that by getting it wrong. So I, I think it, people are going to begin to realize that some companies already have the advantage the platform enjoys. And, and I hope that IBM as a company does not sacrifice the uh, attributes and qualities of that platform that have always set it apart for everything else in their quest to try to make it adapt to uh, popular culture and the other things and the other uh, technologies that seem to be emerging. I mean, they're already oh. ahead. Well, it's interesting. I know you're a classic car guy, you know, from oh, yeah. in, in your bio. And the, the way I look at the mainframe platform is the same way I'd look at a Porsche 911. 
so maybe maybe go with me on my analogy as a, car, a fellow car nut. You know, both both the mainframe and the Porsche 911 were both launched in 1960 in the 1960s, um, both in the same year. What we've seen with both of those platforms is they get refreshed every couple of years. There'll be a new model that comes out, engines faster, not 60 times or faster. It'll lap the Nurburgring faster than the previous version. Keeps the core of what it means to be a Porsche 911, but nobody would look at the latest 2020 model of a Porsche 911 and go, that's a vintage car. And I think they should do the same when they look at the, the latest Z15 and say, that's a modern computer in the same way you'd look at it as a Porsche 911. So I wondered whether you'd agree with me on that analogy, Robert. Oh, definitely. Uh, if you compare, you know, the current Z-series machines to, to the 360, the 370, even, even the 30XX machines, uh, there's no comparison. I mean, they're, they're, they're light years faster, uh, less expensive, takes less power to run, more flexible, and all of those things. Yet they still have uh, the basic DNA that has been common to that platform all along. I mean, look at, uh, and, and I'll pick on Java here for a minute. Um, how frequently are people required to go back in and revisit their applications because some function or some library or something in the language has been deprecated and no longer supported? That happens fairly often. But I have code today that is still running at the object code load module level. <clears throat> it's been running unchanged for the last 10 or 15 years. I've never had to touch it. Part of that I'll take credit for because it's the way I design code, but, but part of that is inherent in the platform. They don't uh, sacrifice uh, old just to put in something new. And that's a big advantage. Yeah, I think that's, that's how we've got to educate and sort of position the platform that it's, it's got the cutting edge design. It's got all the, the latest bells and whistles, if you will, that you would need, but it's also got that, you described it as DNA and, and I like that description, that DNA that enables it to sort of take the best of what is a heritage we need to look after and respect, but also kind of merge it with the new. So, so Robert, as we look to wrap up today, is there any other sort of parting comments or th things you want to share with the listeners? I think we've gone on a fantastic journey together over these last few moments. But is there anything else you'd like to add as, as we start to think about wrapping up? <clears throat> uh, gosh, I mean, I, I could go on and on, as, as you've probably figured out by now. But I would just like to encourage people to try to take an objective look at the actual capabilities of the platform, uh, what it can do today uh, combined with its track history of what it has been doing and it continues to do for businesses since the 60s and uh, try not to fall into the trap of, of chasing the latest new bright shiny object just because it's new. This stuff works and it's solid and most businesses, they're not in business to uh, explore and play with software. You know, to them, it's a tool 
to run their business on so that they can support and, uh, and pursue the objectives that the business actually has. And uh, I don't think there's anything better for doing that. Well, Robert, I think that's been a fantastic way to summarize up. Thank you very much for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Stephen Dickens. You've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast brought to you by the Open Mainframe Project. Please click and subscribe. Uh, we'd love a, a five-star review if you could take a moment. And we'll welcome you to the next show, which will hopefully be up soon.